You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again to the Physics Ed Podcast. Glad to have you. We are here again to talk science and STEM and all that sort of thing. And this week, we're speaking with the ELSA project team, the Early Learning STEM Australia project, where 100 centres around Australia have been trialling out four children's apps that are linked with four picture books to help kids understand about patterns, map making, encoding and decoding, and investigations. And today, we get to speak with Matt Bacon, who is a research project manager for ELSA, and as well as Kim Simasini, who's an Associate Professor of Early Childhood and Primary Education at the University of Canberra. Matt's also from the University of Canberra, and together they've got this fantastic wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to education, and this particular project is something that's very close to their heart. So rather than me introducing it, I'd rather Matt and Kim tell you a bit more about it, and perhaps how you might be able to get involved too. Let's get right on into it. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Hi. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having us. Oh, no, but seriously, thank you for having me along. You guys have been very, 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 very busy with what you've been doing. And uh, for, at the same point, though, um, some people are wondering, what have you been doing? So, uh, Kim or, or Matt, uh, what is it that you do at Early Learning STEM Australia? Uh, yeah, Ben, uh, happy to give some context. Um, uh, ELSA, as we're called, or Early Learning STEM Australia, is a, uh, a play-based digital program. Um, that is uh, a pilot program at the moment that's run out of the STEM Education Research Centre, CERC, at the University of Canberra. And um, we've had, been running a pilot program uh, looking at STEM engagement in the early years uh, through uh, digital apps and uh, play-based learning. What, um, what drove this to get all set up? Uh, initially, it was actually a, a, a proposal from the Commonwealth um, Department of Education and so uh, they funded a pilot program. They wanted to look at STEM engagement in the early years um, and um, approached the uh, CERC team to um, get involved and to um, develop that program. So our program um, is app-based, but um, that's, not, uh, that's only one-third of the program. And we have four apps for children, one app for educators and one app for families. Which means there's a lot of scope there. <laughs> Yeah. So the pilot's been running for um, 2018 and 2019 and we're just about to go into a third year which is moving, there's a slight shift from um, it's still engagement but we're also going to be looking at learning. So next year is, is there's a research component which I think is really exciting. Yeah, I bet. I mean, um, I mean it's one thing to put these apps things out there but it, you know, doesn't have any impact. <laughs> it's probably not a bad thing to check. Absolutely. I mean, I'd imagine, um, I, mean, I mean, especially uh, Kim, I mean, your work as an associate professor in early childhood education means that you come across a lot of early childhood educators. I'm guessing they would have sort of been, have they been using primarily early educa education type apps for their kids or have they been repurposing primary or even secondary apps for younger kids? Well, it's funny you ask that because we've had, um, we've just done a sort of series of visits um, to centres to see what it looks like in action. And a lot of the places were saying, look, this is our first sort of foray into using apps. So we've had 
you know, we might have had an iPad for a, a little while, but really, you know, staff have used it or children have used it maybe to take photos or maybe do some stories, um, but we haven't, you know, used any apps. Um, and so we, we thought Elsa would be a good place to sort of start because of the support that we'd be given. So I, th um, I think app usage is still very um, new to before school settings. Yeah. You know, certainly there, don't get me wrong, there are certain centres that, you know, have embraced it and have been using apps for years. But I would think on the whole, um, most, you know, they're sort of late adopters. Well, especially when the kids are still learning to manipulate their fine motor skills and understand the 3D environment uh, in the real world, let alone on an app, is, uh, is challenging enough as it is. I, I can see that. But at the same point, these things can be quite valuable as a way of adding to this in certain ways. Um, Matt, could you describe, so you mentioned those different app versions. Um, so I just say I, um, I jumped onto the website and I downloaded the thing and it's all in front of me. What sort of thing would be in front of me that I could use with my learners if I was in a early childhood setting? Like what does the apps actually do? Yeah, yeah. So um, we've got um, uh, our, our four apps are basically sort of split across two foundational pieces of um, uh, thinking. And one is spatial reasoning and one is logical reasoning. Yep. And uh, that's an important foundational piece to understand because some of the other research work that our colleagues in CERC have been doing uh, has shown that spatial reasoning is the biggest predictor of uh, children going into STEM professions later on. Yeah. And so um, it's very important to look at the, the spatial reasoning. Um, and so our uh, we have um, one app which is around patterns uh, and sorting, and then we have a second app around locations and arrangement. Our third app is around representations, that's encoding and decoding primarily. Mm -hmm. And then our fourth app is around investigation. So that's sort of tinkering, discovering, um, evaluating evidence and so on. And I think um, probably importantly about the apps is that they're all based around the idea of STEM practices. So um, for those interested in STEM and so forth, the ELSA program is really um, <clears throat> looking at the ideas, methods and values that underpin STEM practices. So we're not... Um, so much focused on dis discrete discipline knowledge of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, but we are very interested in um, in the early years looking at the the thinking and the framing of STEM practices, so that no matter where these uh, uh, bright learners end up, um, they can use the skills of STEM and STEM thinking um, to um, you know be be productive where they are and, and uh, to you know be investigators and uh, be curious and to solve problems and to generate ideas and so forth. So that's, um, I guess, a bit of a background. And if I can just add, so the other really important thing about ELSA, I think, is um, that we use an ERA framework, which is experience, represent and apply. And just before you were saying, Ben, about, um, I guess, early in early childhood, people are sort of thinking, oh, um, apps are a new thing because children are still learning um, from their from the world, you know, I would definitely agree. And I remember at the beginning of um, the program sort of confessing and saying, oh, look, I actually think kids should be outside playing more than they should be playing on an app. So there is definitely a, a, um, a reluctance by a lot of early childhood um, people because, you know, mm -hmm. play is so important and children should be playing, you know, with real materials and outside and things like that. 
Um, but, you know, using this ERA framework and sort of guidelines for time, so one thing is the time. So we're saying, you know, 10 minutes maximum 40 minutes across the week so you can already see oh okay we're not just saying three hours on the ipads <laughs> i think you get a bit of backlash there yeah, yeah, exactly so you know most people go oh 10 minutes oh yeah that's you know no one really has a problem with 10 minutes but the era framework means that the app as matt said it's only a third of the, the apps are only a third of the program because um we suggest that you know um Educators do some type of experience activity, which is off app. Then they use the apps for their 10 minutes and then they do other activities, um, apply activities um, afterwards. And those ENA activities, experience and apply, you know, they could take half an hour. They could take, you know, like there's no limit to, to those things, especially if the children are really interested. So um, um, patterns, for example, there is an app where they make patterns. Um, but of course, we know from the educators that, you know, children are spending lots and lots of times making patterns off the app, you know, with different manipulatives. Um, one centre we visited, they even did it with, um, at, at morning tea, they'd cut up all fruit. And so they were making fruit um, kebabs or skewers, and they were making patterns with the fruit that they put on the um, on the skewers. So well, that's, yeah, that's, that's useful. I was just, just thinking then, my, uh, my, my child, he is in year one, I've got another one in year four. And then so year one is just getting out of the, into the number sequences big time. And the other do like looking at sequences and the patterns of how the numbers emerge. I mean, that goes right through primary school and it's frankly beyond <laughs> actually a lot of ways. Um, funnily enough, I was just running a program just before this uh, particular podcast uh, doing on the Richter scale to year six students and getting to understand how logarithmic scale works. And you kind of think back, well, all the way back to early education, understanding that this number comes before this number or the other way around, after this number, et cetera, seeing the patterns of how they actually work on a number line makes sense. And if you're doing that with concrete materials, if you're making, you know, fruit kebabs, you know, if the strawberry comes after the pineapple every time and you're able to predict what comes next, I mean, that's really laying the groundwork for that, you know, that reasoning. That's great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's really one over educators who may have been a little bit like oh, worried about well, how much screen time and yeah. you know um, actually you know most of the program is off app you know the apps are just sort of um, I mean patterns is a funny example because actually you can easily make patterns off app but most of the other um, apps do things that you can't do so easily off app um, so, like in the like uh, location and arrangement app, which is app two, um, the children um, make a sort of or design a playground, and then later on the characters come out and they take a photo, and you sort of have to guess who took the photo. Oh, that's cool. Moves from the bird's eye view to um, what do you call it when it's um, like yeah, 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 and you know, actually you can't do that in real life or it's very difficult to oh, do. Oh, no, it's challenging. I actually have, I saw something like this before as a puzzle for um, a middle school type age group whereby you do exactly that. You do a bird's eye view of an arrangement of blocks and they could be cylinder, they could be a cone, they could be a block, uh, a 
rectangular prism <laughs> type shape uh, arranged in different ways and then they show the side view and then you have to predict where their locations were and what was the thing that you're looking at and it's far more challenging than it sounds and yeah. uh, in doing that in an app environment I can totally see how that would really work. Yes because yeah you actually get to see it from that top down view moving slowly to the side view um, and it's, it's really great. I can't think of an example, like other than getting up in a, in a cherry picker to see yeah. something <laughs> top, down, top, down, top yeah. down and then slowly, slowly moving to be able to see it. Yeah. But at the same point, I could imagine if you had um, some of these daycare centres, long daycare centres, proper preschools, a whole lot, uh, some of them will have a variety of different blocks in different ways. And even if it was just the red, the yellow, the blue and the green, to make it you know, really obvious that that's their arrangement on the mat when the kids can see above, then you get them down on the floor and look sideways. I wonder if that could help conceptualise what's happening in the app as well. It's a they start putting Lego figures out or whatever. Mind you, Lego figures are not so good because they're a little bit choke hazard, but <laughs> something different. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it is an interesting thing because the thing is spatial reasoning. We come across this a lot when we do visits to uh, young centers where we're doing uh, B-Bots, which is very, very popular program. I mean, a lot of people listening in will be aware of the B-Bot. It looks like a B. Uh, the late, latest version is BlueBots where, uh, yeah, you program this B to do a certain sequential moves. It does nine degree turns and 15 centimeter movements incrementally uh, and getting kids to actually understand the relationship of the buttons they press to where the bee actually goes can take some time, especially for a four-year-old. Yes. This will help. Yeah. Actually, that was another thing we saw in our visits, which I thought was very cool. So um, as well as the apps, we have developed some, there's a book that goes with each app and we've also sort of got an off app game and one of the game the game that's with app two on location and arrangement is like a zoo board game so think about sort of the idea is sort of snakes and ladders that you've got to get from the sort of entrance of the um, zoo to the sort of exit and of course there's all the animals sort of um spread out and you know it's the one-to-one -one correspondence because children find that really hard with board games you know where you know how many is three does three start here or you know, um, we have still have arguments with my kids about that, by the way. <laughs> it's so common because of that. And, and so that's why I think board games are so great is because you can get the whole, yeah. the importance of one-to-one -one correspondence, you know, with a physical or here's a space and you are moving three. Anyway, um, I've seen um, at some centres they use the bee bots on the big zoo game because it's a big like sort of metre by metre sort of floor game. And they put the bee bots on it and they quite like it because they'll start somewhere and go, okay, I want to go over to the lions or I want to go to the kangaroos. And it's got sort of a, you know, they're really interested, they're motivated because, you know, because of the animals. Yeah. And I just thought that was a great way to use bee bots um, on something that has sort of context for them on a big map. Yeah, and it really works. I've seen that uh, done to the, um, to the nth degree where we visit a centre at the start of the year, we give them a bit of an idea how to use it. We turn up later in the year to do something completely different. It might be a biology workshop or something. And they've gone and got themselves that particular platform. And what's really cool is if they've been doing that once a week with their students, with their kids, uh, what I've seen some people do is they get a completely clear mat without anything marked on it apart from a grid or 15 centimetre squares. And what's neat about it is then the kids can actually put 
things underneath the clear mat, whether it's a flower in one spot and the hive in another spot, or if they feel like doing some rudimentary mapping, they could have move, move around a town, you know, make the bee go from one spot to another. And what's really cool about that is the kids don't realize, but they truly are learning about coordinates, yeah. which turns out way later in school, but the kids can kind of get an idea of where they're meant to go. Yes. Yeah. Takes yeah. some effort though. And, and we've, um, uh, one of the things I've seen, because I really liked books, <laughs> is where people have cut out pictures from books and so they've done the sequence. And sequencing is an oh, cool. important, I think, um, skill, um, not just for STEM but, you know, just in literacy as well. And so, say, think of the hairy caterpillar, uh, the hairy caterpillar, the hungry caterpillar. Yes. And so they'll have all the, you know, the fruits and things that he and salami and ice cream, and they'll put it, and the kids have to, you know, go in order of what it ate. Um, That's smart. At the end, yeah. So I, I thought that was a pretty cool idea. Yeah, actually, can I actually ask um, um, Matt? You mentioned when you were saying like there's four different apps with this, and one sort of dives a little bit into coding. And I, I can imagine some people go, "Oh yeah, no, exactly how to do that with some young ones." And other people might be going, "Well, how does that look?" <laughs> so, what, what do you mean by that on on the coding side? So, um, our app three representations is uh, in that uh, really diving into encoding and decoding. So, um, I guess to very broadly breaking that down into uh, interpreting instructions and making instructions for others to interpret. Um, and we do that through a thematic um, lens of music and celebration. Uh, yep. Inside the app, we have make an instrument and there's the um, classic sort of make a drum with a uh, cardboard tube, piece of material and rubber band. And they, the children initially have to follow the, the steps to make that. And we end up putting throwing some red herrings so they have to then also make some decisions about what is uh, correct and incorrect. Um, but then after they make that, they then get to actually add, play that instrument on the app and then add modifiers to speed the sound up, to make it louder, to make it um, faster, and faster slower. slower, et cetera. Yeah. So then they, that can then become a, again, that ties back into app one because that, that can become a pattern, um, which then they can save out and then use to create another pattern so they can build up on the patterns. Um, and so in that sense, they do a lot of um, then sort of um, looking at conditionals as well and also some debugging where they make their own instruments and then they can pass it around amongst their, their mates to try and work out how to make, make those things. So um, I like how these things are all meshed together. Um, you know, it's not just discrete lessons, which, by the way, had their own purpose too, but the yeah. idea that one lesson then becomes the next lesson, it all becomes like a yeah, – you're talking about sequences. <laughs> it's funnily enough a sequence. It seems to make sense to, to work, walk the way through it. Um, so how have uh, – I mean, you've got the centres that are dealing with spatial reasoning and whatnot. How are they going on that side? Like this, this idea of here's my representation of what I'm trying to think and here's how I'm trying to communicate it to the next child. How are they going – how is the feedback – from the other centres in regards to how the kids are dealing with communicating a set of instructions to another child? Um, I'm not sure if we've had, you know, very specific feedback like that. What we have had feedback is um, from educators is that the apps and the, the entire program um, is actually showing how capable children are because often we underestimate what children are capable of. And so in particular with um, sort of encoding in terms of drawing maps, children have done these amazing 
maps of, you know, how they get to their centre or, um, you know, around their centre, you know, if they go for walks yeah. around their sort of community. Um, that I know um, our prof the head of CERT, Professor Tom Lowry, um, who's also like a professor of mathematics, was like, wow, these are incredible. You know, this is what we would normally expect of a year two student, mm. but we're seeing, you know, done by four-year-olds, you know, because we're going, oh, actually they can do this and, and look what they are capable of. No, uh, I totally agree. I, I mean, while you were saying that, just on a bit of a tangent, but this will make sense. Uh, when you're talking about the faster and slower speeds of your instrument, therefore higher and um, lower pitch, uh, you can actually then put in a graphical reference, representation of that. I mean, there are free oscilloscopes. Uh, then you have to type it into you know your favourite app catcher, so to speak, to find the oscilloscopes, O-S-C-I-L-L-O-C-O-P-E-S, whatever, <laughs> I'm saying it really fast. You can then find the waveforms of what happens. Now, these are free, and you can actually show the kids, and I've done it with really, really young, I've done it with kindergarten, haven't tried it with real, like into the early years yet, but there's no reason why we couldn't show them a high-frequency sound, a high-pitched sound, and the kids can see the really wiggly line. And when they see a, hear a low sound, they could see the thing hit and it's a low sound and they see this very long wave. They can see it showing up on their screen as well. The kids really do pick it up. I know at the kindergarten level, we often show it with a slinky and you can then show it with the, you know, the graphical version of the same thing. These kids, I agree, they totally can pick this stuff up much faster than we give them credit for. We just got to give them the access to it. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, that's very true, Ben. And um, <clears throat> some of it, a way we draw out that sort of knowledge um, in ELSA is um, something I, I'm quite excited about is the well, the UGC, which is the user-generated content in ELSA. Yeah. So we allow children to create their own content <clears throat> um, and also explain some of their thinking. What sort uh, of things are being created? So in our, um, so say in our, in App One, we have an activity called Lunch Boxes where children sort lunch boxes and that can be done as a collaborative activity, uh, three kids to one tablet, and they each sort different food as it's presented into their lunch box. Now the app has a certain level of AI that will then recognize a sort, but after they the child has finished sorting, or as they feel they finish sorting, the app will uh, give them a, a screen with like a nice little microphone and one of their little characters that we've developed will say, you know, they have an opportunity then to record um, their reason for the sort. Great. Uh, this goes back to the educator app, which the educator can check and verify and so on. Um, there's a lovely example that we've come across where, um, you know, for instance, the app can't uh, verify every single type of sort there is, but um, there was a child in one of our centres and they, they sorted and the educator didn't think it was a sort and the app didn't say it was a sort. But when they asked the child, why did you sort? Uh, there was like corn, there was corn and apple, corn, apple, and something else. And so they weren't necessarily represented, but they the child said, Oh, I sorted by core. They all have a core. They all have a core. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so there's, yeah. no, there's no way that we would have necessarily thought about that um, mm -hmm. as a contingency to put into the AI to recognize that kind of sort, but by giving the child the opportunity to actually think through and verbalize what their own methodology was, if you like. And um, obviously, you know, that's very powerful to become their own. No, it's, and really good because, um, and actually this is really good training for the educators too because there's one thing about closed versus open questions that comes up a lot. And the child was trying to answer your question and did. <laughs> By definition was correct, but you, their definition was different to your definition. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, examples like, oh, well, all of these foods, you know, they're my grandma's favourites. Oh, there you go. Well, how are we to say that they're not? You know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, so if you're listening in with the older from older age groups and you're doing healthy choices or something for uh, stage two or three, um, yeah, so if the child says is grandma's favourite food, <laughs> you have to then challenge it. How do you, how do, you do it? <laughs> but hey, I was just thinking though. Um, this means that effectively by getting this user response, you effectively are creating data for the centre for the to help with the kids' you know growth and and this is what centres do. Is that data then, I mean, obviously with privacy concerns all in place and everything, is that da- data then useful for, you know, the STEM Education Research Centre? Because I can imagine this data would be really helpful because on mass, it helps you sort of think where are kids kind of placing. Yeah, yeah, true. Thanks, Ben. Um, uh, yeah, we, because we're a, a government pilot at the moment, we have some pretty strict... Um, um, oh, big privacy issues on that for sure. Uh, restraints <laughs> on us, which is, which is fair enough, of course. <laughs> Um, but what we are doing is, is through the apps is um, uh, we process the, the data that comes through in some of the analytics and some of that gets sent back through to our educator app for the educators to use. Yeah. So uh, they, their app actually acts as a little bit of a dashboard for the children in their classes um, and they, it gives a measure of how much time each child in their class has spent on, on, the, on a device. Um, and also, it uh, flows through information in the form of I can statements. So, uh, in these early years, we don't want to obviously test kids, um, but we want to see what they can do and not what they can't do. So, we have I can statements. So, the, the educator app will then have a, uh, some check marks against a child who says, I can sort ABB pattern or I can um, fix a pattern. Uh, I can sort with friends or things like that. They're some of our I can statements. Um, and that's very useful for the educator then to sort of be able to, um, another another piece of information for the educator to use to see where the kids under their care are mm. uh, and how to, um, you know, um, move them forward or support them or extend them um, as they see fit. Yeah, actually one of the um, educators that we visited was talking about that, about how having these apps also because sometimes so they're not apps you know they're not the um pass back type of app of you know mum in the car quick just have the phone be quiet while i need to concentrate on driving or something um so sometimes the you know well not sometimes all the time the educators will actually have to show the children how to use the app um and yeah so this educator was saying it's been amazing because i've had to spend time sitting with small groups of children and I've really got to see what they can can do and again I wouldn't have known unless we had these types of apps because I just probably would never have done this type of activity or so again it's that wow kids are really capable and and with this app I'm actually seeing it and with this sort of uh, thing being a pilot project I undoubtedly expect that over as this thing grows and grows and grows, you're going to hear more and more educators going, you know what I did with this app? I did this thing. And you go, wow, you did that. And uh, imagine you'd be, over time could build up a body of knowledge from the educators using it themselves as whether they're doing articles on their particular website or they're giving you ideas, even anecdotally, that's going to mean that you get some real cross-linking going on between the centers themselves about here's how we're doing this. And you could really form a community of best practice, which is great. 
and in fact, that's what we have done. So as part of the pilot, we did have to have a community of practice. Um, and look, everyone is time poor, um, but people have put up ideas and photos of things that they've done with um, the different apps, which has been great because often, you know, you can just see a picture and go, oh, I could do that or I've got something similar or, you know, I could just change it a little bit for my context. But the other great thing is because we've done professional development and uh, with the 100 um, centres is that we've seen them a couple of times and they've really built sort of relationships and networks with other um, educators and what's been great is from the different sectors because, like you said, we have um, long day care centres, we have standalone preschool or kindies, depending what state you're in, and we also have uh, preschools or kindies attached to schools. So they've got to meet people with, you know, around Australia from different settings um, and whenever we've had the workshops, it's been really important that they, you know, come and share things that have worked really well um, and, and, yeah, they've got some great ideas. I know when I visit the centres, they talk about, oh, I got this great idea from, you know, so-and-so about how we could, you know, manage the apps or how we could do this patterning activity or a map activity. Yeah, that's great. And so I imagine, so, so you got your 100 centres as part of the, you know, the pilot sort of a thing. Um, just say more money got dropped on in and you're going to make it bigger and brighter and more beautiful and all that sort of thing. What sort of things would you... Just even just thinking off the cuff, like what sort of things would you add to this if you had more time, more budget, more things to make it prettier and better? What would you want to add to this if you had uh, a bit more scope? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think sorry, I, I, I'll give you some thinking time. Uh, the reason why I ask this is that we, we do a lot of professional development to early educators as well as primary school and high school. And one of the things that um, is a blockage is this idea of resource because, I mean, let's be honest, we are time poor. We are short of cash. <laughs> but sometimes what can help is this 10x thinking, this idea of, you know what, in a perfect world, in the perfect scenario with all the perfect amount of time in the world, what would a perfect example of a lesson sequence and series, what would it look like? And it means that we can sort of go, well, what, it produces what-if statements. And so I guess I was just wondering, what would you be able to do if you had lots more time and lots more support, et cetera, et cetera? So I think one thing that we, we're very interested in is um, that our current uh, ELSA program is uh, built around the EYLF. And, yep. Um, you so know, Early Years Learning Framework for those people overseas. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and, um, and, and so... These apps can, um, we believe, push into from the early years uh, into the foundation uh, or kindy yeah, uh, or you know one and two as well in those years. And so part of our uh, vision would be to extend Elsa to cross over that threshold um, and probably even you know sort of maybe extend some of the uh, uh, the apps or maybe extend the apps to be more complex for those uh, years into the years one and two. Um, and also, I suppose, um, build, up a, build up some um, better analytics and some data-driven um, pieces here for the educators and for schools uh, if we went into those areas to be able to uh, make good decisions um, based on, on some of the data they can see, um, you know, and to really um, create a good learning environment for their children. No, I agree. I would still do, like you said, you know, professional development, not so much... I think in the early years, or I know in the early years, they don't get the same professional development opportunities as teachers at schools. Um, you know, one, they might be working in a centre where they are the only teacher. 
Um, whereas at a school, at least you've got, you know, you've got all the other teachers at your school and, and you can make a community of practice within your school. You know, maybe it's um, year levels or if you're in high school, you know, like the science department. Um, so I would always push for more sort of, again, if I had all the money in the world, face-to-face -face, um, professional development sessions where people can share and make those connections and, you know, because once you hear other people when they give those ideas, like I said, often you can look at it and go, oh, I could do that. And sometimes it's so easy, it's like, wow, you know, why didn't I think of that? But until you, someone says it or, or shows it to you, you don't think about it. Um, so I think that whole sharing ideas of what works and let's not reinvent the wheel um, would be really helpful. No. You could never have enough talking to people and getting ideas. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's the thing I always learn a lot on even just doing these things. I mean, be amazed what you find out, just getting 20 minutes just to chat with people about what are you doing? <laughs> it's yeah. really cool. Um, actually, just a, as a query, because, I mean, there's the nature of this particular uh, podcast is that we've got people listening to it all over the world. So if they were in, I don't know, Quebec or in wherever, Uruguay, wherever they are, um, do they have access to that or is it currently a bit of an Australian thing for now? Um, right now, it's just uh, an Australian thing, but it's still in a pilot phase. Of course. Uh, and so it's uh, just restricted to the, um, the centres that we're working with uh, across Australia. But um, our website, elsa.edu.au, does have some resources and information about ELSA generally. Also, the CERT website has some information about of the more conceptual thinking behind the STEM practices, uh, the ERA model as well that's been developed. Yeah. Um, so there's some more so, uh, I guess, some, some reading resources there um, if people are interested. Um, but hopefully at some point we'd definitely like to uh, have it uh, as a, a fully-fledged program that runs out um, uh, everywhere and anywhere. Absolutely. Now, I've got to actually say a second what you said with uh, it being useful for the early years in uh, primary school, so elementary school for overseas, because these concepts don't go away. <laughs> they just don't. And they, and they turn up for kids who are, you know, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years old, and even further. I could also imagine this being useful in a support learning environment as well. Uh, so, so some of those kids who need more help, even if they're older, this would totally help them out. I can totally see that happening. Um, look, hey, one thing I just always like to ask everyone who, who jumps on this is simply, um, if okay, in your case, if they had some brand new pre-service about to hit the world educators in the early learning uh, sector, they're in front of you. There's like 100 people, we're all ready to go. They're pen and paper in hand, ready to write down whatever you've got to say. If you had to give some advice about uh, applying, whether it's logical reasoning or using these apps or even just helping kids with STEM in general for the younger years, what sort of advice would you give them? I always think um, start small, start with success. Um, so one of the things um, that Matt um, was saying about we've got resources on, so you can go onto the ELSA um, webpage and there are some resources or the SERP webpage. So one of the things that is available to everyone is a STEM, early childhood STEM book list. Um, and so for me, that was the way in because I like books and I really like literacy um, and I actually didn't do any science beyond year 10. Um, I, so I feel like I've got lots of gaps in my sort of science or STEM knowledge, but I could look at books and go, actually, there's a lot in, in books if we use a STEM lens, you know, because we're quite good at picking up books to teach different content, you know, about 
sharing or teamwork or, or whatever it is that, you know, we find a book on. Um, actually, we can do that for STEM as well. So I sort of think that's why you should start with something that you're already comfortable with. Um, you know, don't start with something enormous and something that you're a bit unsure of. Start with something that you really like and you, you're familiar with and you feel confident about and then just gradually add a bit more. So it might just be asking. One of the things I've talked a lot about with Elsa and with the educators is, you know, questioning. Because, like I said, I don't have STEM, a lot of huge amount of STEM knowledge. You know, don't start with the why do the magnets stick together or what makes the bubbles stick together because if I don't know, how is a four-year-old going to know? Um, but, you know, we can talk about what's happening, you know, what we're seeing in front of us and then move on because I feel like sometimes we shut conversations down by going straight to those high-level questions that a lot of early childhood educators don't have the content knowledge for, but they can certainly inspire that sort of engagement and curiosity about, oh, what's happening here? Oh, look at the bubbles. What are they doing? Oh, some are sticking together, some are floating off. Oh, look, when they touch the ground, some, they burst. You know, those types of things I think all early childhood teachers are capable of doing. So it's about, you know, thinking about, well, could I, you know, could I look at my questioning? to inspire more STEM learning. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm going to just about bounce off what you just said there too. A classic example of this in early education and in the early years for primary is there's a book by Pamela Allen called Who Sank the Boat? And Who Sank the Boat has uh, several, uh, three animals, I believe, on the top of my head. Uh, and it's literally Who Sank the Boat? <laughs> and it's, people use this a lot as a precursor into why things actually float. And they produce foil boats and they add things into it until they sink and all the rest. And it totally works. And in the older years, we actually was lucky enough to speak with uh, Gillian King-Cargyle, who from the US does an amazing job with a program called STEM Read. So stemread.com. Uh, you can check it on the previous episode on that website somewhere. <laughs> it's one of the back, back episodes. But they, with the older kids, we're talking high school, uh, are using uh, fiction, teasing out where is the STEM found and can we talk more, more about this? And there's no reason why you can't do that with the early years too. And uh, totally agree with that. And uh, yeah, that's where the fun is. Yeah. Uh, no, fantastic. Look, hey, thanks very much for uh, uh, you know, joining me on, on this. And well done with the ELSA program. I mean, I mean, yeah, you're in your pilot phase, but I've got this sneaking suspicion. <laughs> it's going to go a little bit further. And well done with it. And uh, look, much appreciated. And uh, have a great afternoon. Thank, Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. Sign up now for our fortnightly email newsletter. It's loaded with details on new experiments you can do, STEM teaching articles, new gadgets, exclusive offers, and upcoming events. Go to physicseducation.com.au. Scroll to the bottom and add your email. Well, there you go. What do you think? Should you get involved with ELSA? Yes, it's definitely worth your time. So go check out the Early Learning STEM Australia website to find out more. It totally is worth your while. And just keep an ear out and an eye out for when that is open to even more centres right across Australia. Well, that's enough from me this week. We have plenty of more coming on up, but definitely jump into our website. There's a heap of actually support information to help you with early childhood and STEM education. And I recommend jumping on the Early Learning STEM Australia website as well. There's a whole bunch of info that can help you out. So anyway, have a fantastic afternoon, morning, or wherever you might be, and I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. 
We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au